0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Grace Community Church, if you would make your way to your seats, and we'll look at a couple things in uh, the bulletin. Hopefully you grab one on the way in, or if not, there's some probably on the island you can grab in a little bit. That is, there's a wealth of information in there, uh, lots of things that are occurring through the course of a week, through the course of our summer, uh, and then all the contact information you'd like to get in touch with us. Uh, welcome, especially if you're here for the first time. Uh, we would, we're glad that you're here. Uh, on that bulletin, there's a tear-off sheet. If you're not yet connected to us, we'd like to send out uh, information through the week uh, via the city. It's an online source for connecting and sending out prayer requests and updates. Uh, it's, a, it's a great way to be connected when our church indeed stretches from Fuquay and High Springs all the way to Dunn and everywhere in between. Uh, we're grateful that God has drawn the people who are the church together, and so we're Using the internet to kind of take advantage of those ways to stay connected. Uh, We also would love for you to join us for a very easy way to get connected next Sunday evening. Uh, We're going to have a hymn sing. So if you're from Harnett County, you're not unfamiliar with that. But if you're not from Harnett County, that might be a little strange. Uh, What we're going to do is literally uh, sing hymns. Uh, How we're going to do that is by getting the hymnal out. A hymnal is a book that has a bunch of pages in it and written (laughs) notation. It's actually how I learned to sing hymns, and it is a joy for me to be able to pull these back out. Uh, when Grace Community Church was, was very first started, they used hymnals uh, in the middle school across the way. Uh, we had a big filing cabinet. We'd just stick them in and pull them back out and stick them in. And so they're in a box right now, and I'm excited about pulling that box out uh, next Sunday night. And we're going to have ice cream together right before we sing, so we're going to clog our throats with a bunch of ice cream and then sing together. And so please uh, notice, we'd love for you to bring something with you, so... If you are driving past Sunny Skies and you just want to stop and hit it up, that's fine. Feel free to bring a gallon from Sunny Skies. Uh, but otherwise, uh, if you have a favorite flavor that's a little uh, less expensive, um, then feel free to bring that as well. And so we'll, we'll break ice cream together instead of breaking bread and then sing together for a little bit. So if there's one that we haven't sung in a long time that you'd love to sing, uh, be thinking of that now so you can look it up. Uh, They're arranged by numbers in the hymnal, Uh, and we would love for you to join us next Sunday night uh, for the hymn sing, starting at 6 p.m. We also want to point out that uh, if you have any questions about uh, Grace Community Church, as you've been here maybe the first time or the first few times, uh, we will be uh, starting up a Grace Connection sometime soon again to kind of get... uh, Get those questions answered. A Grace Connection, keep your eyes open for that. It's an opportunity to plug in for four weeks uh, and meet with our elders and our staff and talk through what it means to be a part of Grace Community Church. Uh, But this morning, we're just grateful that you're here to worship with us. So if you would, let's stand together. Uh, When we gather, we we worship through uh, talking through what's coming up, through the announcements. We worship through singing together, through praying together, through hearing the word preached together. Uh, this is something that can only be accomplished when we gather as the church. There's no other place on earth uh, that can replicate what we do on Sunday mornings when the church gathers together. And so this morning, let's consider, um, consider the Lord. What we do when we gather is we want to be reminded of who He is. We want to be reminded of the truth of how things really are. So let's behold our God together this morning.
1: the oceans in his hand who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice behold God, seated on His throne, come let us adore Him. Behold our King, nothing can compare, come let us adore and for man, God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign, behold our God, seated on His throne. i
0: And indeed, the darkness cannot overcome it. And we see his light shine in the midst of darkness at the cross. So let's sing this old hymn together. And remember that light in the midst of that darkness.
1: On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best. For a world of lost sinners was So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Until my trophies at last such attraction for me, for the dear Lamb of God left His glory above, to bear darkness.
0: Help us to remember the fullness of the gospel as we sing together and worship together this morning. Help us to remember that the truths of what Christ has accomplished for us extend beyond just what we experience now, but give us a sure and certain hope of resurrection. I pray that we would see Christ lifted up in the word as it's proclaimed, that we would trust Christ beyond our circumstances, and that you'd be glorified in all these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
2: We believe in preaching because we believe the gospel is powerful to change lives. And we believe in preaching the Bible, God's word, because that was a priority both for Jesus and the apostles. Luke, in his gospel, says that Jesus came filled by the Spirit, proclaiming good news to the poor. Preaching was Jesus' first work, and it should be our first work. We want to equip men and women to expound God's Word through holding classes on preaching here in Melbourne, running workshops across the country and around the world, and through mentoring, help men and women to improve as preachers, both in what they say, how they handle God's Word, and in how they say it. Haddon Robertson says there are three kinds of preachers, those you cannot listen to, those you can listen to, and those you must listen to. We want to raise the profile of expository preaching and help all preachers, both the novice and the experienced, to be must-hear preachers. Welcome to the Center for Biblical Preaching.
3: So the handsome fellow we just saw on the screen is uh, Mike Rader. And if you recall, recently we decided as a congregation to support Mike in his ministry, the Center for the Center for Biblical Preaching. There he is. I want to take a few moments this morning and pray for him. But before we do, just want to introduce a little bit about what they do and how that we as a congregation can be involved. They are across the world and Melbourne. And so here we are in our little little place in Angier, and they are across the world in Australia. And so, you know, we all think about going on vacations, let's go to Australia, but Mike Rader has an incredible ministry there. Part of the ministry, the big focus of the ministry is on expository teaching. And, you know, gratefully here at Grace, we have the opportunity because of the elders, because of their embrace and their vision, because of Pastor Brad and the other pastoral staff, we get to experience expository teaching and preaching on a weekly basis, Um, multiple times a week in some cases. What is expository teaching? This is their vision, and I'll just briefly explain while you're reading. There are a few different ways of preaching. There's textual, which is taking a verse one at a time and just looking at the words, the nuances of that particular text. There's topical, and topical looks like, hey, you know, I want to preach about a particular topic. Let me go find verses within Scripture to support this topic. And, and Mike will say on his website, if you read through the documentation and the content, that they agree there are merits to these ways of preaching for sure. But then there are also dangers too. And expository teaching comes in as, I believe, the, the perfect balance. Because it takes time to look at the historical, the contextual, and even the grammatical um, components to a scripture and helping us understand when we say what is the gospel, helping us understand that this is the gospel in its a, his historical context. This is the gospel and what this word means. You know, we speak the English language and we think it's easy because it's native. How many of you guys have lived outside of the country or been outside the country you've tried to speak a different language and people say English is so hard to understand, it's so hard to We have so many nuances. I love tacos. Like, I love my mother. You say them in the same sentence, and the two mean two different things. So expository teaching helps bring out that, the nuance. And this is what Mike is trying to do with their ministry. They are encouraging pastors both in Melbourne and around the world to teach in an expository way. And so we're very excited at Grace to be able to partner with them. I'm a part of the Eisenberg's home group. Uh, whoop, whoop. And we are excited to be the liaison for Mike Rader and his uh, ministry. So as we go to prayer this morning um, for Mike and his team, um, there's some information you can check them out um, on our website or you can go to their website. A few prayer points that I pointed out, or I picked out that I thought that would be effective for us to pray this morning. Uh, the first is monetary support. This is a relatively new venture. And if you've ever been around the ministry for any length of time, you understand that having an organization that is based on helping people to teach expository based on the Bible and to preach can be a difficult thing to convince people to, to give money to and to fund um, because it's a long-term, its fruits are long-term. It, 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 you see them down the road. And you see them in congregations like ours. Um, So they need support. And as a body, we have uh, voted to support them, and we are supporting them. But if this touches you individually, you're more than welcome and encouraged to go to their website and to support them. They have a a donate link on their website. So I want to pray for that monetary support. The other thing I picked out, of course, related to that is time. Um, Let's pray for time. Time is such a precious—I don't even say it's a commodity. It's just—it's precious, and it slips by so fast. So, when you're trying to teach and mentor and train, you absolutely need time. And what Mike does is he actually travels around Australia, and they—they uh, they mentor pastors, and that takes lots of time. You know, pastors—they're—they're they're so dysfunctional. They just need lots and lots of help, lots and lots of help and support. So, haha. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, sorry, where was I? And and the last thing is uh, congregations. Congregations. Um, One of the reasons why my family has embraced grace as a church family is that when we first walked in, you know, we we saw the elders, we heard Brad teach, um, but we, we felt the congregations embracing of this exegetical, this expository mode of understanding Scripture. And that means a lot to us. It really does. And so we want to pray for the congregations that these, you know, here's Mike and he's mentoring these pastors and they're feeding their congregations. We want to pray for those congregations, that there would be fulfillment, that there would be fruit from the teachings. So let's pray for them right now. We are so grateful for the opportunity, Lord, to partner with Mike in the Center for Biblical Preaching. What an amazing opportunity it is to be all the way across the world and to have the opportunity to reach directly and engage with this ministry. We ask that your hand of guidance, your hand of provision, of humility, of support would be with Mike and his team. As a church, help us to engage by listening prayerfully to their needs and how we can step in the gap for them. We also ask the congregations that receive the words of the students, of the pastors who go through their seminars and their classwork and even being mentored specifically, Mike and his team, that the congregations would embrace fully the, the meaning, the historical meaning of the gospel and how that translates to us here today. We are grateful again for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to support them. It's in Christ's name. Amen.
4: Well, thank you, worship team, as Always for leading us right into the presence of God. His presence is here always. Sometimes we're more aware of it than other times. And grateful for these guys and the work that they put into it. And thank you, Jacob Powell, for that wonderful introduction to the Center for Biblical Preaching Really appreciate that. That's probably the first exposure some of you have had to Jacob. That's just, we're just too spread out sometimes. Well, uh, wherever you live, if you come home with Allison and me after church today, you're going to find an active house. We have had a lot of family at our house. Last week, a week before last, Allison's sister, Heather, and her brother, John, were here for Husband John, yeah, not brother. (laughs) It's going to be one of those days, I can see. They were here with us a few weeks ago. Last night, Sabra, my sister Sabra, and George, her husband, and their three kids, and my sister Nan and uh, nobody with her, Uh, and then Liz and her three kids were all at the house. So as you can imagine, they were all spending the night. Now we have more in for dinner, but they were spending the night, fun times, active times. Tonight, Autumn and her two kids are going to join us. It's going to be crazy. It's truly what I envisioned several years ago when the Lord blessed us with this wonderful, blessed our family with this house. Not only our relational family, our, our relatives, my direct relatives, but our church family. We do a lot of church stuff in that house, and I'm just so grateful for it. Uh, the youngest at our house tonight will be Eli, who's three years old, just turned three recently. I'm the oldest at 61, although my stepmother and Jim and Joy were well, joined us for dinner last night. We added up the numbers, and I think it was something like 3,264 years altogether, together. In the house, something like that. So I'm so grateful for all the activity in our home, and I am so grateful that Allison and I leave for vacation on Saturday. (laughs) The title of today's message is A Multi-Generational Gospel Family. Now just leave out the term gospel for a moment and think about a multi-generational family. What's wrong with that term? It's redundant. A family, by definition, is multi-generational. If you are blessed to go to a family reunion, you know, you've got all ages there. Maybe it's more like entertained if you go to a family reunion, you know, but uh, you've got all kinds of ages there. Now look, I realize some families, for for any number of reasons, are not as large and not as multi-generational as others, but most families go from really young to really old. And when you go to a reunion, you see them all there in one place. Don't you wonder sometimes why it is that church so seldom looks like a multi-generational family? I mean, it's like you're really heavy on one age or another. The church is really young or it's really elderly. And a lot of churches tend to be heavy on one demographic or another. I would say that Grace Community Church has a fairly good spread. In fact, I think it's rather remarkable. I mean, we have a few gaps in the ages, but nursery and preschoolers and children and, and youth and, and, and college, grad students, single adults, middle-aged, empty nesters, senior, we've got all ages in our church represented. But does everybody feel like an integral part of the family it's a question does everybody feel like I am an active important member of this family the disappointment might not be that there are so few people my age in this church but it could be that somehow some people feel a little bit on the outside looking in no family member, no family should ignore any particular age group in the family, and no family member should feel left out. The pastoral epistles uh, of first and second Timothy and Titus are so named because the apostle Paul is giving pastoral instruction and information for pastoral care to the congregation uh, to the church to particular church leaders. Uh, There's a lot that the Apostle has to say about family life in these three letters. And today we're going to take our cue for multi-generational gospel family from Titus chapter 2. The whole chapter. You know, Jacob described the different types of preaching so very well. And I gotta tell you, I cannot wait until we get to the fall and get in the book of Hebrews. I just can't wait. Because it's true, when you're doing a topical series like this, you are indeed, there are certain things you wanna cover and you look for passages to, to pre- preach. In fact, had a topical message a few weeks ago about expository preaching. And remember, expository preaching is a mindset as much as it is a style. But it is very much a style. We're going to Titus chapter 2 today to look at what the Lord says about how this family is supposed to be all generations functioning together, working together. Um, So, But before we read Titus chapter 2, the whole chapter, we're going to have just a bit of context. Paul, at some point, made a missionary journey to the island of Crete. It's not described anywhere else in Scripture. You know, Acts talks about one, two, three missionary journeys. And most likely this happened after he was released from prison the first time. Most people think there were two imprisonments, one that we read about in the book of Acts toward the end of Acts, and and, and then Paul was released, he spent more time doing missionary work, and then he was arrested again and executed <laughs> after that second imprisonment. So most likely, Paul and Titus went to the island of Crete, established some churches, and Paul left Titus there and said, make sure these churches get to the place where they need to be. So, so Titus stayed in Crete to strengthen the churches that had been established. And Paul's letter to Titus was giving further instruction for these relatively new believers, and, and and telling Titus how you need to structure the church, how the elders need to serve in these churches, and, and, and how people need to function. The Roman Empire in the first century was a debauched society. We were talking about this in our, around the table last night. Sabra was talking about a Bible study she had attended, and it's it's a revelation when you hear about how wicked these people were. You think that America's the worst that it, it's ever been in history. You don't know anything about history. I'm telling you, these are t- terrible times, especially from what we have known this country to be, especially the older ones of us, but... I mean, all through history, it's, it's, it's just a tale of debauchery and it was so, very much so in the first century in the Roman Empire and, and it was particularly so on the island of Crete. I mean, these people were partiers and just lazy and all kinds of problems that they had. So, in, in Paul's letter to Titus, the apostle instructed Pastor Titus to teach the gospel to the church, imploring the listeners to live differently than those in the world around them, those who didn't know Jesus. Scripture is always relevant, but since we are on the wrong trajectory in our country, this is a particularly good word for us today. It's teaching us how to live in an increasingly wicked Society. I want to go ahead and give the first three points of the message so that you can be looking for them when you read. Don't, don't write these down now. Just, just look at them. They're going to be on the screen for a long time this morning. A long time this morning. If you've got, you might want to text your partner and say, I'll be a little late for lunch today. No, just kidding. All generations matter deeply in the family business of the kingdom. We're not only a family, we have a job to do, we have a mission. It's the kingdom of God. That's what our mission is. Secondly, the spiritual gift of self-control is needed at every age, by both genders, within every social class, and is a distinguishing mark of believers in a pagan society. I thought about adding several more clauses, you know, but I thought, well, no, that's enough. That's a mouthful right there. It'll make sense as we go. The strong exhortation to good works is rooted in the gospel of grace. Look for all of this as we read Titus chapter 2 verses 1 to 15. If you would please stand as the word of God is read and I will be reading from the English Standard Version. That's the version that will be on the screen. But as for you, Paul talking to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. You're going to see, I think, from what David Calvert was talking about a couple of days ago, he's going to talk about chiasms in Scripture. We've talked about this before, but it's a beginning point and an ending point. But he's going to give a lot more detail, really fascinating stuff he's been learning in his doctoral program. But if you'll notice, verse 1 and verse 15 constitute... A grouping. I mean, you've got something at the first and something at the end that ties it all together. So, but as for you, Titus, he said, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, Urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. Your word is encouraging and it is challenging. We pray that we would be both comforted and also encouraged and, and that we would be challenged to live as not only you called us to live, to live as you died for us to live. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Wow, there is so very much truth packed into this text, even as I'm reading it again, reading the scripture, I'm thinking, oh man, I want to talk about this, I want to talk We could have ten points and just barely scratch the surface, but... Our focus is on family, and so we'll limit it to three, beginning with all generations matter deeply in the family business of the kingdom. Five different groups are addressed in this text. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and slaves. Thankfully, and I'll say this several times, thankfully, we don't deal with that blight uh, on humanity, but Again, I'll I'll, I'll put it all in perspective a little bit more. Paul instructed Titus to instruct each group according to sound doctrine. They were all hearing the same thing, essentially, although they had different roles. The expectations were the same, and yet there were different responsibilities, different duties that they had. Toward the end of chapter 1, Paul had told Titus what he already knew about the horrible lifestyles of the the people in Crete, but also about the knee-jerk response of the Jewish false prophets, false teachers who were teaching a legalistic works-based salvation. That's not against Jews, that's against legalism. Jews were having trouble shaking the law. A lot of Baptists and Presbyterians and all other Catholics have trouble shaking the law. Of course, we always shake the law to fit our own lives so that the things that are important to me, I keep, but the things that apparently are not important to you, and I'm gonna, that's just the way legalism and Phariseeism works. Older men were considered to be the natural leaders. Of the church. This group is not to be confused with the elders who are the official church leaders. But there's a sense here that if the older men are not right, the church is in trouble. And so a lot is riding on our understanding of the place of the older men in our congregation. The older men are urged to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love... And in steadfastness. that's a pretty tall order. I mean, why do you think Paul would give so much emphasis to the older, typically more mature men in the congregation? I mean, doesn't it just follow that young men who are passionate for the Lord and who live for Christ will just grow into be even more mature, spiritually minded men? Not necessarily so. The fight stays with us our entire lives. Hain Griffin says this about Paul's exhortation to the older men via Titus. Quote, "...the latter years of life, especially for men, can be filled with regrets, a sense of uselessness or worthlessness, feelings of despair, self-absorption, or even a tendency to relax moral standards." because of old age, close quote. Ricky Mill, who's one of our missionaries, a counselor in, in, in Raleigh, that our group is connected with and will be telling you more about his ministry. Our home group will tell you more about his ministry in the not-too-distant future. But Ricky uh, tells a story about when he was at Dallas Seminary, when he was very young, Howard Hendricks. And if you've ever heard Howard Hendricks, what a great, great, teacher. He's so entertaining, funny, brilliant man. But Howard Hendricks said that when he was a student, Louis Berry Schaefer. well you may not agree with this theology, but he was an important theologian early in the 20th century, used to come into class at 90 years of age, this godly man who had started this seminary, and he would pray before class would start, Lord keep me from being a dirty old man. That's pretty telling, isn't it? The challenge is great for every one of us. And the challenges are different ways. Look, you I'm sure you ladies are, all the men are thinking, oh no, you know, this man's saying that at 90 years old. And the women are thinking, that's so disgusting. You've got your issues just like men have their issues. We've all got our stuff. And the Lord. is is dealing with all of these people. If it's true that senior men set the standard for the church, then they need to pay attention to their walk with the Lord. And they need to give attention to their leadership role in the church. But it's difficult to make an impact on others when everybody looks at at you as if your use-by date has expired. It's kind of like, I don't think you quite Get what's happening here. Here's what happened when you get older. Just imagine the church is like this family circle. And there's all of this activity going on in the circle. And everybody is excited about it. But as you get older, changes begin to occur at church. And some of them make you just frankly uncomfortable. It's not comfortable with the way things going. And you start saying things like, well, in my day. Uh, wonder what that age is when you start saying that. I don't, I don't know. Um, so some of the changes make you uncomfortable, but you recognize that change is inevitable if the gospel is going to be passed down from generation, especially now. Change happens at exponential rates. It's like things just get away from us before we know no matter what age you are. Things are getting away. So you can imagine if you're, you're older and you grew up and a lot more traditional. Can you believe that there are people in here that, that, that were alive before the internet was, you know, common? Can you believe that? In fact, maybe most of, of the people, in fact, all of the people in this room almost, you cannot believe how recent it has been that the internet, which was radically life-altering for all of us, has been in play. What bothers you, though, as you get older, even though you're uncomfortable with what's going on, you're okay with it because you recognize the need for ministry to the younger one, so that the gospel can keep going. But, but <coughs> you begin to feel like God, what God is doing in the family is, you're just out of touch with that. So you quietly take a few steps back from the circle not as sure of yourself as you used to be. You don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing. Now, for those of you who are younger, just imagine this. It's hard to imagine when you're really young. But just imagine, you don't hear as well as you used to. You hear well enough, apparently. <laughs> you don't hear as well as you used to. Your eyes, you know, you can't make things out like you used to. And and the worst thing of all is the memory. Your mind is not as sharp as it used to be. And it takes you a little bit to, you know, to get names. Harold Jernigan, the other morning, was telling us about these two old guys that were friends and they were meeting for breakfast. You know, and the one said to the other, It's been a while since we've met. Would you mind reminding me of your name? His friend sat there for just a moment and then he said, how soon do you need to know? <laughs> that's, that's what it's like when you get older. I can't tell you how many times your name has come to my mind as it's coming out of my mouth. I cannot tell you how many times that happens. It's not going to happen for long though. I'm going to be going, uh. I'm so sorry. Can you remind me of your name? You know what happens when you get unsure of yourself? You start stepping back from the circle. And then you start thinking, you know, there's a lot of activity in that circle. I'm not even sure that I missed. And then before you know it, the circle sort of closes in. Or it feels that way anyway. What happened? I mean, look, this could happen with any age group. Sometimes young people don't go because they feel like there's nothing there for them. You know, they just say they have to have to go somewhere else because everything is structured for people of a different age. But I, I want us to fo- function right now or focus right now on the seniors here at Grace. We need to make sure that our seniors at Grace, both men and women, feel like they are a vital, important part of the ministry at Grace. Just think about this book that we were talking about a few weeks ago. Where I was talking about Thumbelina, the technology and culture of millennials, and you know, Thumbelina and Tom Thumb, because they're always on there. And, and, and the sense is that if a millennial is not in charge of the conversation, They go back to the phone. What does that communicate? You've got nothing that's worth me listening to. Just in the first place, the older saints in our congregation deserve a great place of honor and respect in our minds. If nothing else from all of us, Look, when you go to a family reunion, some of the older people are given an important place in everybody's heart and mind. That needs to be happening even more so, even more so at church. So that may mean a whole host of things, how we begin to do that. Uh, From activities for seniors to intentional mixers between older and younger in our family to increased opportunities for seniors to serve our body in ways other than giving and prayer, which are important ways. That was one of the things quite a few years ago that was so difficult in church was that, you know, um, you have to consider tomorrow if... You're going to continue to minister like God has called you to, but yesterday is paying for today, you know. And that's true still, I am certain. I don't know what you give or don't give, and it's best that way. But I am sure that a significant chunk of our income comes from the elderly, who are on fixed incomes. Because they're committed, and they have served us so well for so long, and those that can't get out and do are praying, but we need to bring them into the circle. They need to feel like they're in the circle. Sometime in the next few months, we're going to have a meeting for all those with at least one family member that's 70 years of age or older. We may be persuaded to go as low as 65, but since 70 is the new 50 and all that stuff, you know. We'll probably start at at 70, and hopefully we, we... our staff's been talking about this. Our home group's been talking. We, hopefully, we can, we can do this in a home. The Colbreth home or the Tally home may not be big enough. Colbreth home may be a better choice because the Tally home has a few more steps. The brilliant one bought a first-story uh, master bedroom, but forgot about the six steps that it takes to get up to that first-story bedroom. We'll see. I, we may have to do it at church even just because of our numbers. Um, There are two questions that are going to be on the table for discussion, not necessarily in this order. First, how can the church minister to your needs with all of the special considerations that age brings? I mean, how can we minister to you? But then secondly, what are some ways that you would like to minister to our church that just don't seem to fit in the circle right now? Look, we've got to bring these guys back into the circle. And I'm very close to one of these guys, by the way. In age, we need to find ways that they can minister significantly without questioning themselves. They need to be made to feel that much of a part of our ministry. Our home group is ready to do our share in helping to ensure that the seniors in this church are able to play the role in in the family that Scripture has designated for them to play. And our home group goes everywhere from undergrad students on up to senior citizens. So we are excited about being a part of that. I hope many of of, of others of you are going to be prepared to help as well. It, 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 In Titus 2, Paul moves from challenging the older men in the church to challenging the older women who were encouraged to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to train the young women in basic life skills. This Cross-generational mentoring is a life source ensuring that the gospel is passed from one generation to the next. It's a beautiful plan because you'd be surprised at how many times I hear young women say, I need an older woman to mentor me. And you know what? The older women are just not available. We need you to be available to mentor these young women. When, look, when kids leave the home, if you've never been a mother who has raised children and then all of a sudden, just like that, you're an empty nester, it's difficult to understand. When kids leave the home, men miss the kids, but they like an empty house. You know, when you leave, don't come back. Liz, it's great to have you here this week. Don't, please, don't move in unless you know. <laughs> And we want them there as much as we can get them there. But if they said, we're going to stay for six months, we'd be, you know, we'd, that would require an adjustment in our thinking. So men are like, especially, you know, they're like, well, I'll have to dress differently when I go to the fridge at night and stuff like that. You know, you, you got all kinds of considerations. But the mothers would be like, oh, yes, come, 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 please come. Can you imagine, though, what it's like to all of a sudden, you're, you're not, your identity has been so wrapped up in the children, and I don't mean that in, in a negative sense, I mean in, in the way that God designed it. And then all of a sudden, they're going, what better way to use the gifts and the knowledge and the wisdom that God has given you, and even in saying things like, you know, I would do it way differently. Let me just tell you some of the mistakes that I made. Experience is expensive, and wise is the person who buys it secondhand. Wouldn't it be great to hear from a a mom who's been through all of that, about how to deal with your husband? There, There is a sense that there's almost some sex ed kind of stuff in this text. It's just the way it is. It's supposed to be passed down. It's not supposed to be figured out on the Internet. We're supposed to be helping one another from generation to generation. And also, though, how to deal with these preschoolers and teenagers, for goodness sakes. Who knows how to deal with teenagers? Well, I hope that all of you will take advantage of gatherings this fall that bring all the ages together in in women's ministry and men's ministry. I understand why home groups sort of become age-defined. I get that. I love that our group is not. But it's, everybody has to be on the same page. We've got some incredibly mature young people in our group and old souls, they would tell you that. you know. They, but they're just eager. They want to know. I want to see that all over our family. I want to see the young ones just eager to learn and the the older ones just ready to step in and say, let me share with you. And sometimes that means let me share with you how not to do it. Paul goes on to address young women and young men. Many of the same qualities that are expected of the older men and women are to be nurtured in the younger Men and women, no matter how old or how young you are, you are vital to the well-being of this family. And no matter how young or how old you are, God has expectations for, live, for you to live in a manner that will impact the lost world all around you. No matter what your age is. More about that in just a moment. But before we move to these last two points that will be very quick, I promise you. While we're talking about young men and women, I want to point out one other group that might feel maybe just a little bit back from the circle sometimes. Single young adults who are done with education. They're working or they're looking for work. Our culture is a bit different from the first century. No slavery for starters, thank goodness. When Paul told the older women to mentor the younger women, he just assumed that almost all of the younger women would be married raising children. That would not be a safe assumption in our day. The, the ages are, are, are much higher for men and women getting married. I got married when I was 22, and that was the thing that it just, everybody expected that. Now, you know, a <clears> 22-year-old <throat> goes to get married, and it's like, are you sure you've thought this all the way through? Are you ready? Tell me about your financial statement, this, this, that, and the other. Men and women are called to a particular place in the family. And when the family expectations are this, and you don't meet them, you begin to feel a little bit out of way. Those of you who were older when you got married, you remember what it was like in family gatherings. Are you dating anyone? You know? You know, you should get going before it's too late. All the good ones are going away. You better get going. I mean, no single young, young single adult wants to hear that. Here's the tricky thing. A lot of single adults who are not married want to be. But it's not as easy as it used to be because society's expectations are just not in that way. They are appropriately trusting God to give them a mate in his time. But they desire, their desire to be married is a godly desire, and it's often God's plan for them. So I wonder if we as a church can find the motivation and the discipline to pray that God will bring men and women into their lives. I mean, just the right person. Well, they won't be just the right person for long, you know, but just, you know what I'm saying, that God will bring the person He has designed for them into their lives, and, and I wonder also if we could create a culture where singles are confident enough to be a vital part of a home group, <clears throat> not strictly one is age-based, but just to go to any home group and, and to say, be confident enough, be secure enough, to say, you know what, I just want you to pray for me about this area. I want you to pray. Would you please pray that God will bring someone. And, and that would mean pray about this without asking me every, you know, two or three days. So how's it going? I've been praying. <laughs> Is it possible that we get like that? And by the way, we have singles of all, single adults of all ages. How much a part of this family circle do you think they feel? They should not feel one ounce less important than anybody else in our church. You ought not to have to be empty nesters, you know, who are still working, or parents of children. And my, we have parents of many children in our church. But you ought not to have to be just those. Everybody ought to feel like an important member of the family. Oh Jacob was talking about wow I just thought what he said was so good about I thought he was going to say when he started talking about the congregation, I thought he was going to say, and, and we just felt so much love you know amongst the congregation. I hear that all the time and <clears throat> And and just felt people really reaching out to us, that kind of thing. But he said the congregation embraces expository preaching. That's an awesome thing to hear. I am and, and you do, I am so grateful for that. Look, God's word commands us to give attention to one another. And for everybody to feel like a part of this place. I, I would love it if you would spend time in the book of Titus this week and embrace the truth of this book that has a lot more of a, of a feel of the book of James than I ever realized until I was just immersed in it this week. can't tell you how frustrating it is to not be able to share, but the things that I've said about all the different generations working together has been on my heart for a good while. It has, and I'm so grateful in the context of of the way that God has designed the church to be able to say those things. But i got to tell you, there is so much in this book that would minister to your, your heart. When Jesus saves us, our lives should be different. Not only in eternity when we are perfected, but now as we live as light in, in a dark world. So, just quickly moving through these second, these last two points. The second thought from this chapter is that the spiritual gift of self-control is needed at every age. Remember, he's talking older and younger. And and you see that word over and over four times. Self-control, self-control. Remember, it's fruit of the Spirit. Self-control is not something you just... It's the Spirit giving you the ability to be disciplined. It's needed at every age. It's needed by both genders. We have our own issues. Within every social class show economically at the top, all the way to slaves in Paul's day. It's a distinguishing mark of believers in a pagan society. There are very distinct themes in this chapter. Self-control is clearly one of those. Submission is also a prominent theme. Wives are to submit to their husband. It's part of God's created order. It's not popular to hear today. It's just in the same way Jesus was submissive to the Father. Well, he had a perfect one to be submissive to. That's right, he did. Yet, he calls us to be submissive. Every one of us is submissive in some way or another. Maybe there are one or two at the top but in this world, but there are not many. We are all submissive to somebody, and he calls us to be submissive. Um, I... I <laughs> Thankfully, we no longer have to engage the horror of slavery. But when Paul addressed slaves of that day, he told them to be submissive in everything and not to complain or argue with their masters. Look, who doesn't complain in America? I tell you who shouldn't complain. Us. Believers. Don't complain, don't argue with your master, he said, to slaves. And we are frustrated over nothing. When you read scripture carefully, you can understand why reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin encourage people to be content in the station of life to which they were born, that God had designed and designated for them. I get why they thought that. Culturally, they didn't have what we have. Like I told you a few weeks ago, when you see ambition in Scripture, it's almost always selfish ambition. But selfish is not in the Greek. It's been supplied because ambition was always considered to be a negative thing up until about the last 200 years. Now, look, I I love living in this place where you can be much more than you are. I'm not going to say you can be anything. You can be President of the United States. that kind, But you can be a whole lot more than you are. If you truly work hard. You're disciplined. You can rise in this society. And that's a good thing. But it's also an important thing to remember. That right where God has planted you right now. Your heart and attitude needs to be one. Of self-control and submission. Better yourself? Absolutely. Nothing unbiblical about that. But while you are where you are, don't complain. Don't argue. Do not slander. In your place of work, in your family, in your church, don't do it. It's a free country. If you belong to Jesus, you're his slave. That's what Paul said. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He was free like very few people were free in the first century, and yet he was a bondservant of Christ. Both the themes of self control and submission point to a third theme. Our lives are to be distinctly different from those who are without Christ. Young women are to live in such a way that the word will not be reviled. Young men are to be self-controlled. All are called to live as we will see in just a moment in ways that reflect God in a present age that is wicked. Paul directly challenged Titus to live in such a way that the opponents of the gospel would be put to shame because his life would belie any criticism that others would level against the church. If they have something to say about it, may it be unjust about us. May it be unjust. Not. Well, you know, I'd have to agree with that. All through Titus 2, there's a strong exhortation to good works, but there's plenty in the book to argue against a works-based salvation, which is the focus of the last point. The strong exhortation to good works is rooted in the gospel of grace. Titus, Paul told Titus, if you belong to Jesus, your work should be an indicator of the change that is inside, that has taken place inside of you. Again, it's like James, way more than you, you, you might have thought. But Paul is not preaching salvation through good works to the morally lax men and women of the island of Crete. He's saying that belief in the gospel should make a radical difference in our lives. Titus 2 verses 11 to 14. Just, Just look at the scripture. Let's read it again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself so that we might one day be perfected and live perfectly no who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are his own for his own possession who are zealous for good works. How different is your life from those who are around you that don't know Christ? One of the things that struck me afresh working through this text is how my relationship with Jesus ought to affect every word, every thought, every attitude, every action of my life. But I'm not seeking to exercise self-control in my life so that God will accept me. I am pursuing good works because I want to be like the one who died for me. I want to be like Jesus. That's the gospel, and that is gospel living. Scotty Smith said, the best thing about tomorrow won't be an opportunity to do better, but our calling to believe the gospel more fully. Not awesome. Let's close our time by reading from Titus 3, verses 4 to 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Mercy, you know, is a withholding of judgment that is is due to someone. You deserve to be condemned, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's a fantastic family that he's brought us into. Let's be the family of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, um, we know that you love each one of us deeply. One of the ways that you communicate your love to us is through those that you have given to be a part of our family. May we show deep, heartfelt, committed love to everyone in this church. No way I can do it for everyone. And you didn't design me to do it for everyone. You've designed our body to reach out one to another. Give us that encouragement that we need to live the kinds of godly lives that you're talking about in your word. May we please you. May you be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand?
3: For our benediction, we go to the book of Hebrews. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that was just pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace.